Well, more than a decade ago, uh, my family and I, before we moved ourselves here to the western suburbs of Chicago, we lived in a small town in Ohio, actually called Xenia, Ohio. It means land of the devil wind, uh, kind of an interesting fact. But I coached a a uh, local volleyball team when I was there, a high school volleyball team. And I was actually the assistant varsity coach. And my friend Lisa was the head coach, and as all good coaches do or maybe should do, at the beginning of each season, we would do a team bonding event together. And Lisa always picked out what that was. And so one particular year, she decided that we were going to go and do a high ropes course together. Now, I am all about team bonding experiences and adventure and outdoor and competition, whatever it may be. And usually I am like, I am all in, right? I get so excited about these things. But for me, to do a high ropes course tested me because I am terrified of heights. I don't know, can I get an amen from anyone else in here who is with me? Thank you. I am so glad I am not alone. Uh, my, and someone's going to clap. Thank you. I feel so much better now. Uh, my family and I actually a couple of years ago went to Niagara Falls, and um, I had to uh, remove myself from my kids standing next to the railings and actually go sit in a park across the street because I was so terrified I just couldn't take it. And then for all of you other people who are not afraid of heights, you think it's funny to kind of mess with us, right? And kind of do those like scary little things we don't think is funny. So I just had to remove myself from the situation until they were done. And so knowing this about myself, when I came to that moment as a coach and a leader with all of these young girls who were looking up at me, I thought, well, shoot, I got to fake this whole thing. I got to somehow figure out a way that I'm going to get through this course. And so we show up at the course and we are fastening our helmets and our harnesses and we're listening to the instructions of the safety guide. And at some point, it finally dawns on me that I need to look at what we're actually about to do. And so for the first time, I look up in the sky at this course that is looming over our heads. I'm like, oh, shoot. I actually have to do that thing. And so I immediately start kind of bargaining with God. And I say, OK, I will do this, and I will do this, and maybe I'll get to that piece. I think, OK, I think I can do that. But then I see way up and the very tippy top of the course above everything else is like floating in the sky is this one single solitary log. And in that moment, I make a moment with God. I make a deal with God and I say, all right, God, I will do anything on this course that you ask me to do, but I will not go across that log. There is no way I'm going to do that thing. And wouldn't you know... You know where this is going. Wouldn't you know that two hours later, I found myself standing at the very place where I thought I would never be. I was on this little platform with kind of swaying in the wind. I felt like I had moon dust in my hair, satellites like circling my head. And I looked at that dang log in front of me and I thought, how in the world did I end up here? How in the world did I end up at the very place where I swore to God that I would never be? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever got yourself in one of those moments or maybe one of those seasons of your life where you just think, golly, how did, how did I end up here? 
Well, the last time we see our friend Peter, the disciple Peter, before the resurrection of Christ, we see him in one of these moments. We see him sitting in the courts of the high priest Caiaphas, and he's sitting by a fire. He's warming his hands, and a young girl comes over to him and says, hey, weren't you with that guy they call Jesus? Aren't you one of them? And we know as the story goes that Peter doesn't just deny Jesus. He denies even ever knowing Jesus, and he doesn't do it once, but he does it three times. And we see that the rooster crows and Peter falls to his knees in a puddle of despair and of shame and he weeps. And I can't help but wonder if Peter didn't think, how in the world did I end up here? Now, some of you may be very concerned about me right about this time and you're thinking, she doesn't preach that much and someone needs to go up and tell her that we actually already covered all of that. That was Lent, right? Last, year, last week was Easter. We already said he is risen. Dan gave that great Avenger sermon, right? We've already covered this stuff. We've checked our Easter boxes. We put our baskets away. We have sent our company home. We have woken up on Monday morning and our mind has already raced to the next thing. What about those finals I have to take? What about the summer vacation I have planned? What in the world is the next sermon series? I don't know if people actually think about that. We think about that here at Christchurch. <laughs> what is that thing I have to get to? And I think that sometimes, at least I know in my own life, when I start to do that thing and I start to rush to the next thing, I am tempted to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a one-day transactional event that has no ongoing consequences for my life. It's this event where Jesus died and he lives and yeah, 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 we know that. But it doesn't actually take hold in us and transform us and shape us into the people that God has called us to be. And you see, after the resurrection, as we are going to look at this story this morning, we see that Jesus had some unfinished work to do in the life of Peter. He wasn't done with Peter yet. And before Peter could actually step in to who God was calling him to be and to the things that God was calling him to do, Jesus actually, in a very kind way we're going to see, Peter takes Jesus back before the resurrection, before he pulls him forward. One thing that I found very interesting to note about John chapter 21 is that a lot of scholars actually believe that John chapter 20 is the end of the story. It is that very famous scene when Jesus appears to his disciples and to Thomas for the first time. And Thomas doesn't believe and so Thomas puts his fingers in the nail holes and he confesses his belief. And then if you look in your Bibles, there's actually a subtitle right at the end of chapter 20 that says John's purpose for this gospel. And John says, I write these things so that you may know, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have life. Now that's a really beautiful place to end that story, isn't it? But I think John chapter 21 is this gift. It is this gift from God for us to go back and be reminded that Peter's story is not over. 
Peter's story is not finished yet. In fact, Jesus has to do some rewriting of his story. They think John chapter 21 is some kind of epilogue for those of us who read and we get to that epilogue of the book and we say, yeah, I don't know if this is worth my time. I'm just going to shut off the light and go to bed. Well, friends, don't stop reading because John chapter 21 is not the end of Peter's story. It is actually just the beginning. Now, Jesus has already set the stage for this piece of the story right after the resurrection. He gently has already started to call Peter and remind Peter that he is still one of Jesus' disciples. If you remember, that scene by the fire in the courts of Caiaphas is actually the last place that we see Peter. It's the last significant experience we have with Peter. And then when you get to the crucifixion, Other disciples are listed, but Peter is not there. And so there is some evidence that Peter actually, because of his failure and his shame, he actually isolates himself. But Jesus, in his kindness, when he appears to Mary, do you remember what he says? He says to Mary and the other women, go tell the disciples, including who? Including Peter. Lest Peter think he maybe is not invited to the table anymore, make sure you Tell him, too, that I am alive, that I have come for him. And then John tells us that some point after the resurrection, that Peter does something kind of interesting. The disciples are still trying to get their minds wrapped around what has happened. They've seen Jesus, the resurrected Christ, two times already. But, you know, as you can imagine, you saw Jesus die, and then you see him alive, and you're just not sure what's going on. And so there may be some confusion. And so Peter grabs six of his buddies, six of the disciples, and Peter goes fishing. Now, this is an interesting thing for Peter to do, and there's some different interpretations of why maybe he does this. But I am married to a man who loves to go fishing. (laughs) And do you know when he loves to go fishing the most? When life is chaotic and work is overwhelming, and there's tension in the house, you know what? He's like, hey, guess what? I'm out. I'm going fishing. And there is a theory that, as some scholars say, that this was kind of where Peter found himself in, that Peter just wanted to jump out, that Peter wanted to get out, and he wanted to go fishing. And I'd like to say that maybe... It's because while Peter understood the resurrection in his head, in his heart, he was still sitting by that fire. In his heart, when he laid his head on the pillow at night, he was still running through the how did I get here narrative. And he kept imagining what he could have done differently or what he could have said differently. He was standing at the top of that ropes course looking at that log And he was saying, golly, how do I make sure I don't end up there again? Do you ever have those kind of nights? (laughs) Well, I listened to a sermon from a pastor at Passion City Church in Washington, D.C., and he said this. He said, you know, a lot of us do this after we make bad choices. We pinball between busyness and distraction. Busyness, distraction, Busyness, distraction. We throw ourselves back into work or kids or that house project or whatever that thing that we've been meaning to do. We throw ourselves into that. Or 
we curl up in bed and we just binge watch the next thing on Netflix and we hope the world leaves us alone. Busyness distraction. We do anything except face the reality of the sin and the brokenness in our life. Anything to make it go away. Well, friends, I hate to break it to you this morning, but Jesus loves us too much to leave us in those places. And Jesus loved Peter too much to leave him in that place. And so we're going to see that Peter had a little bit of work to do, but Jesus in his grace pulls him forward because he's about to rewrite the end of Peter's story. So Peter and the disciples, they're on the boat. They are fishing. We see they've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. And early in the morning, John 21, verse 4, tells us that Jesus stood on the shore. And he calls out to them and he says, little children or little boys is the word that he uses. And he says, hey, have you caught anything yet? Haven't you? (laughs) And of course, Jesus already knows that they didn't, but the disciples, they don't recognize who Jesus is. We see that as a very common experience after the resurrection. People don't recognize who Jesus is. They can't get their minds around it. And so the disciples yell back to the stranger on the shore. They say, no, we haven't caught anything. And then all of a sudden, the stranger says, well, try try the net on the other side. And then all of a sudden we see that their net is just breaking and overwhelmed with the number of fish. It's so heavy that they can't even haul it into the boat. And John, one of Peter's closest friends, John has this moment of awakening and clarity. And he nudges Peter. He's like, dude, that guy's Jesus. And I can't help but think that Peter in this moment wakes up to his own clarity and that his mind races back in time. And it races past the empty tomb and past the crucifixion and past the fire to a moment that would have been one of the most profound and life-defining that Peter has ever had. Because if this story sounds familiar to you, it's because we've actually heard it before. Recorded back in Luke chapter 5, this exact thing is the same miracle that Jesus did for Peter when he first called him to follow him. Jesus had actually climbed into Peter's boat and said, go out a little bit further. And again, they'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, drop the nets. And we see again this miraculous catching of the fish. And then Jesus looks at Simon And he says, Simon, Peter, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. It was the first invitation that Jesus extended to Peter. And I think that in this moment, as we fast forward to Jesus standing on the shore and recreating this miracle, that's an act of a father's love. It is an act of Jesus recreating this moment. And he says to Peter, Peter, the same God that called you then, that invited you then is the same God that is calling you now. It doesn't matter what you've done or how far you think you have run from me. You cannot outrun my God. You cannot. And he has this sweet, intimate moment with Peter, and he invites Peter back into the story. And he says, Peter, there is nothing I won't do. You're still invited no matter what you've done. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless 
love of God. It chases us down. It fights till we're found. It leaves the 99. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But yet Jesus gives himself away. And I love this about our friend Peter that we've gotten to know in the scriptures because this is so true of what Peter would do. Peter realizes it's Jesus. He realizes the moment and he just throws himself out of the boat into the sea and he just starts swimming towards Jesus. The other disciples probably are just rowing right by him like, all right, Peter, just keep on swimming. We'll see you when we get there, right? But Peter throws his messy, broken, messed up self towards God and he flails in the sea and he gets to the shore and I have to tell you, if I am writing this epilogue, this is where I end the story. I end the story with Jesus opening his arms and wrapping them around Peter and saying, Peter, you are still invited. You are my child. And the credits would roll and everyone would cry and it would be this beautiful little moment. But guess what? That's not the ending of the story because Jesus hasn't yet rewritten Peter's story. Jesus receives him at the shore and says, you know what, Peter, we're not going to rush by this resurrection thing. We're not going to do that. We're actually going to sit with it for a moment and we're going to experience it a little and we're going to talk a little bit. And by the way, Peter, I, I made you breakfast. Now, for those of us who may struggle sometimes feeling like God is an angry God or God is judging you for your mistakes, you know, I had this sweet moment with, with my family this morning. Eric, um, he's a pastor also, for those of you who may not know, he's the pastor at Downers Grove, and he actually is taking some time off right now, believe it or not, um, to go fishing. That's a true thing. Um, and so he had the morning off. It's a rare morning for us when he is home, and I'm the one that has to go to work, and and uh, as I was getting ready, he's downstairs cooking breakfast for his kids who are still in bed asleep. And I can smell the smell, and I see him chopping potatoes, and I think, oh, what a sweet thing for a father to do for his children that he loves. And so Jesus is cooking Peter breakfast. And he does it, okay, get this, get ready for this. He does it over a fire. The word fire is used throughout scripture. We see it a lot to mean a lot of different things. But this particular word for fire is only used right here in this moment. And guess what else? At the denial. It's the only two times this word is used in scripture. And I have to admit that the first time I thought that, I thought, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus, within minutes of one another... Would he remind Peter of his greatest calling, of his greatest invitation, and then take him to the moment of his greatest failure? Do you just want to twist the knife? Is he just doing it to be mean and make sure Peter knew how much he messed it up? What if instead that fire represented the darkness of an evil night, the first fire? And the second fire was the morning of new possibilities. What if Jesus didn't pay, take Peter back to his moment of greatest failure to wound him, but to heal him? What if he did it so that every time Peter 
smelled the campfire in someone's yard or heard a rooster crow, he was not reminded of how he failed, but how God had set him free. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Jesus is rewriting Peter's story. He is giving him a new beginning so that Peter knows once and for all that the resurrection was not a thing that happened, but a grace-filled invitation into a way of life in which our past mistakes do not define our future reality. What if Jesus takes us all to the moment of our greatest wounds, not to hurt us, but to heal us? You can spend a lot of time in therapy talking about that one. (laughs) And then Peter and Jesus have this conversation. And remember, there are other disciples present and other people there, but it's just this sweet, intimate moment between Peter and Jesus. And, And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all this other stuff in your life that you have distracted yourself with or kept yourself busy? Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus says, good, because I have some work for you to do. I need you to feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks it again, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you you know I do. And so Jesus says again, good, because I have plans for you. I have a future for you. And I need you to take care of some of my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus asks, Simon, do you love me? And this time we see that Peter is a little hurt and he says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I do. And Jesus says, good, then get get to work. Three questions, three affirmations, three denials counteracted into a new story. Jesus is rewriting and restoring Peter's soul. But the story still gets better. So when I was on that ropes course and I was standing on that platform, wondering what the heck I was going to do and how I was going to do down, and I was paralyzed in fear, I actually wasn't alone. On the other side of that log was a young woman. Her name was Whitney. I will never forget And Whitney, I think, saw the terror in my eyes and my paralyzed feet. And she said, Coach, Coach, you you can actually do this. You just got to look at me. She said, "Look, look at me right here in the eye and just listen to my voice. And then Whitney, little 16-year-old girl, starts singing, Jesus loves me to me as we're hanging in the trees. And in that moment, I knew that I had a choice. I could either stay stuck standing on that platform or I could actually listen to the sound of her voice and believe that what she was saying was true and allow her to rescue me from a place that I could not rescue myself because the truth is I really did not want to be standing on that platform. I really wanted to be on the safety of the ground. And you know what? I knew if I fell, I knew the rope would catch me. I knew I wasn't going to go all the way to the ground, but I still had a decision to make. Was I going to let Jesus rewrite my story at that point in time? I learned that there was a way down, 
I just had to choose to accept the invitation. And you know, Peter had a choice to make. He could have felt the heat of that fire and he could have listened to Jesus' conversation and he could have said, you know what, Jesus, I am not worthy and therefore I am disqualified. Jesus, I am not worthy and so I am not going to say yes to any good thing that you bring into my life from here on out. I am not going to look that person in the eye. I am not going to lead that team. I am not going to raise my hands in worship. I am not going to actually believe, Jesus, that you came not to hurt me, but you came to heal my wounds. So I'm just going to stay on this platform or I'm just going to go back in the boat and keep on fishing. But what I love about Peter is that he actually does the exact opposite. He starts the sentence the same. He still says, Lord, I am, I am not worthy. But he changes the end of his sentence because Jesus is rewriting his story. And he says, Jesus, I am not worthy. I cannot love you in the same way you love me. But you know what, Jesus? I'm going to throw myself out of the boat and I'm going to swim to you with all my imperfections and failures and things I've done wrong and all of my sin, Lord, because I am going to believe that you actually want to heal me. I'm, I'm going to believe that you actually are who you say you are and you came to do what you said you would do on that cross from death to life. And Peter says, I'm going to look at you in the eye and I'm going to put my chin up and I'm not going to make any apologies and I'm going to say, Lord, you know I love you and I'm going to accept that invitation to the thing that you've called me to do because I believe not only was Peter healed in this moment and he believed who God said he was, but I believe Peter had this moment of realizing that, you know what, there were other people out there who needed to know they were invited to. And that's exactly what Peter does. He has a new story. He's got a new beginning. And let there, lest there be any doubt that you believe that is true, all you have to do is read. When you go home today, read the first couple of chapters of Acts. And you're going to see that Peter continues the story. And he continues God's stories. And he continues passing God's grace that he has received onto other people. And he allows himself to be healed so can he can heal others. We see that 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, 30 years after this encounter on the shores of the beach, Peter writes a letter. It's called First Peter, isn't that creative? He writes a letter to a people who were far from God, who did not know the truth and the grace of God. They were just learning. They were just figuring it out. And this is how Peter starts out his letter. He says, listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. He's rewritten our story and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he says, you know what, you people, you don't need to worry about your old way of life because now God has given you a new way. And because of that, you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. And then this is the real mic drop. Okay, listen to this. You got to catch this. He says, he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree so that we 
so that we may die to our sins. They are dead. They are no more. East is from the west. And live for righteousness because guess what? By his wounds, you have been healed. That's the words of Peter. By his wounds, you have been healed. Friends, I don't know what your story is as you come in here today. I don't know what parts might need to be rewritten. I don't know what you might need to be healed from. But I know that we serve a God who is in the business of new beginnings. He enters into our stories and he takes us back and he takes us forward and he invites and he creates and he rewrites and he heals and transforms and restores from fish to fish, from fire to fire. And perhaps the most beautiful thing about the ending of the story is that we don't actually have to wait to be set free. We don't have to wait to be invited because we already are. Jesus made sure he took care of that. All we have to do is step off the platform and choose to accept the invitation and receive what he has to offer to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, our Father, we come before you as broken and messy children. We come before you as people who would rather do anything than face the hard parts in our lives. But Lord, we confess to you this morning and acknowledge that you love us just too much. You love us too much, Lord, to not rewrite those endings of our stories that we need rewritten, Lord, because you call us into a new way of life. Lord, you've got stuff for us to do. And so in this moment, Lord, I just pray that we may receive your grace-filled invitation. Lord, that we may receive your healing and accept your grace. Lord, because you paid for everything on the cross. Let us believe that today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.